Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thank you for tuning in to Growth Island again. Today, we're going to be talking about running. So how do you become faster? How do you avoid that you are the type like me that gets a lot of motivation, like I want to be fastest when I was 16, and then you just start running every single day and you get an injury? And how do you improve your top performance? So for that, I got a professional runner. He participated in the European Championship. He's the founder of Peak Forever. He is one of my favorite nerds that really goes deep into like how do we really improve our both mental and physical state so we get top results. And then he's one of those people that you run into rally that just has an amazing energy. That energy of being like a kind soul and someone that you want to sit around having hours of conversations with. So I'm uh, I'm really happy that I managed to get the Mass Tespel on the podcast today. Mass, welcome so much. Thank you so much. This was, was a really nice presentation. I'm really honored. Thank you. So, Mas, you're a professional runner. You also have a master in um, sports and a focus on elite sports and how to actually improve the performance. So you haven't just been running. You also had the theoretical knowledge behind it. And then you've been nerding, some would say, way too many hours of how to improve this. How, uh, <laughs> how did you get into this? Like, how did you end up being a professional runner and then coaching people about how to improve their running? Well, actually, I've always been a really driven person, even from when I was very young. I remember I could run 5K without stopping when I was four years old because my dad and my mom, they were like really active people. And then I got into martial arts. And then, um, and of course, for me, it was just really natural to strive for becoming Olympic champion. And people, they were laughing at me. But for me, it's always about striving for the very best. And and for some people, they they, they think it's about comparing yourself to others. For, but for me, it's mostly about comparing myself to myself. If I can fulfill my potential then i'm really happy and then just in short i i got injured i got two surgeries and i couldn't compete in martial arts anymore and then i got into to running and then i just got really serious because i'm i'm a very much black and white person i'm either all in or nothing yeah but then already from the very from a very young age i found out that it was also one thing was that ego project about myself i want to fulfill my goals but it was also really nice and it was it just gave me such a nice feeling to help other people and see their smile in their eyes even if they were like at the very beginning or at the, the very very high level and not just in sport but just in life in general i feel like if you can help others that's the most the best thing you can you can do it's very valuable for me at least yeah that's one of the things at least i found very um, inspiring when talking to you is that drive to both like push yourself for yourself and then also how you celebrate all of your competitors and that, like, when I when when you go to follow your Facebook or Instagram and so on, like, how you speak so nicely about them and so on. So being that, like, you're competing with yourself, of course, also to get uh, on the podium, but also like the high respect for others and and the desire to to help. So um, so that's pretty. Well. And then the psychological part. But we'll get into that. So just uh, when you're sitting listening right now, the listeners, just so so you know what we're gonna go through, and don't think like this episode is not for me. I'm never gonna be like an Olympic runner or something like that. Uh, I got Mass to share some uh, good secrets on if you are a recreational runner and you just want to improve and you don't want to end up getting these injuries. 
and then we're going to go nerdy afterwards. So we are building the basics first, and then we're going to go a lot more nerdy. So if you are like my friend Benjamin, who uh, participates in competitions for triathlons and so on, that's uh, that's the part you really don't want to miss out. So, so Mess, someone that's just starting, what what do you need to know if you want to be a recreational runner? Should you go running every single day? Should you run like 5Ks? Uh, two times a week and then a sprint and so on. Like, where, where would you start when you when you have someone in that you're coaching? I would say, first of all, one thing comes to my mind, and that's patience. Because within endurance sport, and it does matter if you are at, at the very beginning or you are like coming from another sport and you're in general good shape, you need to be very patient because you need to remember that running, you're bearing your own weight and all that pounding, that's a lot of resistance. It's a lot of um, damage on your body. So you can actually have a, like a, a general good condition if you're used to like dancing, cycling, swimming, whatever, or you're just coming from the couch. But your body needs to adapt. And the, the tricky thing with physiology is that like tissues adapt at a different rate. So if you just go from zero to scratch, let's say you mess, I know you want to become a to come, become a better runner and, it, and you're running a little bit right now. But if you just suddenly get really much with it and you just want to keep going, and that's, that's a nice feeling. We, we all have that feeling sometimes in life. And then you just start running every day. And it will maybe be good for like two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a few months. But then, boom, you'll feel your tendons, your joints, they will, they will just be sore and you'll probably run into an injury. Hmm. So the most important for, for beginners or people who want to get into running is to like create a, a long-term plan, plan. Not just think one week, forward or two weeks, but maybe three, three months, four months, five months. Example, we all know like New Year's Eve, everybody, they want to run a marathon or they want to run faster than their neighbor at a 5K. But instead of thinking just eight weeks down the road, you need to maybe think one year forward. And I know it sounds a bit professional, a bit elite, but it's I'm actually saying it because maybe it's a surprise for many people, but actually elite, elite doesn't get injured that much. It's mostly recreational runners mm-hmm. because the tissues can't handle the load. So patience and then don't start every day. Maybe start out with like you have 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you walk a bit, you jog a bit, and then just like not like intervals, but just to ease yourself into running and then start out every second or maybe even every third day. I would say that's probably the most important because you can't go too slow. It's about patience. Most people, they go too fast. So you need to be a bit slow on your approach. Yeah. I think also just to mention... Um, for people thinking like, what distance are you running? Mass, you said your normal or best distance is 5K, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Good. But so what I'm hearing actually, if you like many of us are not that patient, I'm definitely not the most patient person. <laughs> so I guess the question also starts like, why do you want to run? Is that really the right activity for you? Because if you have to plan for a year, you got to be like in it to, to know that you're running because it gives them mental clarity. It does a lot of good things for you. So if, if you're kind of in that, then it's planning for like, running slowly and then adding the intensity. So is it, I've heard one person tell me that I should ideally run two 5Ks or six Ks up to that, up to eight a week, and then two interval runs where I run 800 meters that I almost sprinted 80%, and then I take like a minute's break, and then I do that again. How, how does that sound according to like the way you coach and, and, and what you would say about someone getting into trying to improve their 5K? I would say if we look at a whole season or like a whole year for like, and it doesn't matter if you are a beginner or you're like at a very high level, you need to structure your your season into like a different period. So maybe you have like for the first three, four months, you maybe work on your base conditioning 
and it's mostly about volume. And it mm. maybe sounds a bit boring, but think about it like this. If, if you must know that like within six months, you would like to run, should we say, 50 kilometers a week, then within those first three months, that base period, you maybe work out to be able to run 50 kilometers per week. And then afterwards, you can begin to add a little bit of intensity. You mm. can begin to add a little bit of intervals, a little bit of tempo runs. But one the error that most people are making, it is that they are adding way too much intensity. And it's not just risky regarding injuries, but actually your physiology can really adapt to it because if you don't have that foundation, that aerobic foundation, we can talk about aerobic metabolism a little bit later, but if you don't have that general capacity, then it's too much stress because we need to remember that training, even though it feels really nice, not always, but most often it gives us mental clarity and so on, then it's also a stress. And if we can't absorb that stress, then it doesn't really matter. Then it will actually, it will not make us better it'll maybe even make us ill or injure it and mm. we'll just drain our energy, energy. So it's about creating a few periods over the year and then later on you can go into more, you can add some, a little bit more intensity and maybe just start out once a week where you do some intervals. And may, most people, when they fake intervals, they think that I need to go all out, I need to chase blood and I need to be completely drained. But that's probably the biggest lie because I always say, most people have probably heard that if you no pain, no gain. I was just going to say that. What's wrong with the no pain, no gain? CrossFit, uh, CrossFitters always have so many injuries. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's bad in so many ways. I always say no pain, no gain, no brain. Yeah. So you need that brain in the end because everybody can go hard. But it's again, it's about absorbing what you're doing. And then it's about periodizing your training. So you just add a little bit on top like each week, each month, each year. And if, again, if you always go hard, then it's a little bit more geeky, maybe maybe come into that, but then your anaerobic metabolism will be way too actuated. And that can actually, what do you say? They can actually um, destroy your aerobic metabolism. So your endurance get worse. Hmm. You will get worse at the end. And it's a little bit like, you know, when you are like maybe three, four years old and you, you had to go pee and you're just peeing in your pants, it feels warm and it's nice, but then after two, three minutes, you're freezing and it's like itchy. And it's yeah. a little bit like that with intervals. It will, it's the icing on the cake and it'll benefit you within a short amount of time. But then after that, because you don't have that general conditioning, then it'll, you'll actually get worse. So how, how does this relate to uh, HIT training? It's, which is supposed to be like very short, super high intensity and supposed to do a lot for your, your performance. Yeah, and that, it has been really popularized within, or get it's getting more popularity within like the last I don't know five ten years, and it's working. But again, you have to remember that if you're doing like hit training, high intensity interval training, because it's normally like really short burst with so much intensity, you feel the lactic acid building up and your heart is pumping and so on. But you need within training. Just like if you have a problem with your car and you take it to the mechanic, they know what they're doing. It's a little bit the same with your body, with your physiology. If you, you need to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And it's not just about going all out like when like people are doing when they're doing HIIT training. Because the thing is that a lot of the energy they're creating comes from anaerobic pathways. And that will say that you're creating energy without oxygen. And that will decrease your pH level in the blood. And I know all biohackers out there, they know it's it's not good. And just, just general health, it's not good to have too low pH level, only for like really, really short amount of times. So with HIIT training, it can only be a, a tiny bit of your training. And then you need to add it 
at the right time. And I know it sounds a bit complex, but that's why you need to know what you're doing with your body because else is just, else is just another stressor that doesn't really benefit you. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is then we get this spring of motivation and just like now I'm going to run, I'm going to run a half marathon. It's really important that we start slow. And yeah, then definitely. do like a few runs a week and then build up and look at like how do we want to do it in a year instead and, and kind of look into like different programs. I guess it, it also depends very much on how much you weigh. If you have a lot of extra weight, you're also pushing more pressure on the joints and different things. Where if you're like me trying to gain weight, it's not the same pressure, but I have friends that are quite heavy and try to use it to get rid of their weight and they often get injuries quite fast because there's a bit more kilos putting on. Yeah, exactly. And just like you're mentioning it, if you have a little bit more weight to carry on, then running is good, but it's probably better to, in the beginning, to walk a bit more and then maybe walk, walk, jog a bit until you get rid of some of those kilograms. And it actually doesn't matter if it's fat or it's like upper body muscle because it's still weight. Your tendons, your ligaments don't know the difference. And that's why you need to build up that base conditioning because you need to increase some in short, some general capacity of both the mind and body. So you get a better fatigue resistance. You get a better ability to use free fatty acids as substrates. And you get a better endurance. And by that, you create a, you're like your threshold before you get tired will get a lot higher. And most people's threshold is like, it's building their mind and their physical capacity. That's, it's really low. I'm sorry to say it, but they think they're in good shape, but they're not. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm actually saying it. People should twist it and say, oh, I actually have the potential to improve even more. That's the way. So it's a lot of about psychology when it comes to, to training too. So when do you know when you're ready to run a bit more and, and amp up the training? If you're someone like myself, that also think that CrossFit is actually quite fun. Uh, Muay Thai is fun. Stuff where you get pushed a bit and like that being of like the limit of not throwing up, but actually being pushed. When, when do you know that like now it's okay? I would say when it comes to running, because like you say, of course, it needs to be hot sometimes. I also love when the blood is just pumping and you're really feeling the rust. And you should also add that. You don't misinterpret me and think that you can't do that. But I would say when you can run three to four times a week for like 30 to 40 minutes without stopping and without just you have some, you are more you have more energy in the end of the run than you had before. That's yeah. a really good sign. Then you can start to add some harder training. And also mix it with like other training, like you say, like you're doing, you love some Thai boxing and so on and some crossfitting and enough. Of course you should, because it's not just about what's best for your physiology, you also need to have fun. And if it's a motivating factor to go out and do do another sport, then go for it as long mm. as you don't get injured. Because in life and training, it's about having fun most of the time too. I think that is extremely important. So if yeah. you look into a question that, that I've definitely considered and I got from most of the listeners and like, how do you choose gear? So like, how do you get proper shoes? Do you need to do a running test before? Do, should you be doing barefoot running and all people? And so what's, what's your take on that mess? It's nearly like a religion for people because some people, they are like, you need to go barefoot all the time. And other people, they're like, you need as much caution as, as possible. But I feel like it's a bit in between. If you run a lot, then it's good to have maybe two, three, or even four pairs of shoes, or maybe just two, two pairs of shoes to rotate between over the course of a week, just to like create some different, some different stress on the tendons, on the feet, on the, on the lower legs. 
On the other hand, so what you're saying to all the men out there that love to buy gear, this was the excuse to go buy another pair of shoes. All the women that love shoes. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Got it. I think that's one of the quotes for uh, that people are going to be like, yes, that's all I need to know. It'll be a good selling point for your your podcast. That's for sure. (laughs) But then I'll also say that we need to remember that shoes are actually not natural. So if the weather is good and you're maybe on a beach or like you're in the forest and like the you have some soft ground, not like a hard asphalt road or something like that, then just play a little around. Maybe take your shoes off and just take a few minutes of jogging. Just feel the really the nice grass, the mud between your feet. And because the funny thing is, the more you feel with your feet, the more your brain gets aware of what you're doing and your body can do so much more than you think it's capable of. So mm. I will say the best thing is to like most of the time run with, with shoes on and, and try some different pairs, maybe go to a, a running store what, where they know what they're doing and just also go with like the feeling in your stomach. And then once in a while, try to take your shoes off, maybe even on a hard road, even though I don't recommend recommend it for training, but try to run with no socks, no shoes on, because I guarantee that your running style will be different and it will actually be more preferable for you than if you have shoes on. That's yeah. what I'm doing down here at the beach. So uh, running at the beach, and it, it feels different than being in running shoes. It is, um, but I, I have um, a family member who's a chiropractor who's like, I, did, I asked him because I heard like this barefoot should was supposed to be so amazing. And he was like, mess, it's fantastic for my business. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was just like, I have, I can't tell you how many clients I have coming in with problems because they started running barefoot. Because like in theory, it makes a lot of sense if we grow up and we're always just walking barefoot. But the problem is we've grown up with shoes. So our, um, when you say it, bones and everything else have not been adjusted or kind of grown into being um, barefoot running all the time. He's like, um, if we were running on like soft stuff, walking on it, it would probably be perfect. So it's like, it, it, it probably works for, for several people, but you need to take it easy with the barefoot running to, to start with it and build up because at least otherwise you're gonna, there's a high risk you'll end in my clinic instead that was his very practical approach even though uh as you said it seems like a religion sometimes but but it's a really good point and i highly agree with him because people often in life today they take it to the extremes they think like it's either or so like they oh i need to go barefoot and then it's all the time or mm-hmm. i need cushioned shoes and it's all the time it's a little bit like you're either into veganism or you're into like the keto keto or carnivore diet but there's something in between i just think our minds like that extreme thing so yeah. you need that balance, like you say, because if you take like the, the Kenyans, Ethiopians, they're used to from a very, very young age walking around and like dirt and dirt path roads and so on with like no shoes on. We can't do that because you're not used to that. But that's what I, why I'm saying that if you just do it maybe a few minutes every week and there's just nice and easy at the bit up. I'm not saying you should go all in on barefoot running because I don't at all believe in that because we don't have the the capacities, the like the general strength in our feet and our body to do that. So you need to work with the rest of your body before you can do that. But but just try. My point is just you should try to play around and not let other people telling you what to do all the time. Because in the end, your biology, your intelligence knows have the answer, I yeah. would say. And we are different, right? So it's like, as you said, where do you grow up? Have you been used to walking barf- barefoot and so on? Yeah, so, exactly, but if, exactly. now we're talking about the Ethiopians and Kenyans. So uh, I remember one of the questions I asked you, like, measure run it, but like, um, can white people compete in running? 
it seems like all the medalists are uh, are having different uh, a different color and you're like you actually had a, an interesting answer i thought yeah i've heard that so many times and like science have tried to find those answers for like 20 30 40 50 years so many years i think it was like especially in the 80s and 90s the the africans especially the east africans really began to dominate especially middle and long distance running and they they still do but in genetics we haven't found an answer and i think we are all the same because if you measure like different different aspects of the physiology it's it's the same if you're from the western world or you're from east africa or you're from asia or whatever it is so i think it's mostly about culture because we need to remember that today we are sitting a lot of a lot still in the western world well like in the east africa they're still like maybe where we were for like 50 60 70 years ago they're playing a lot around they don't have that much access to like television and like computers and so on and then we need to remember that for them running is a way out of poverty so mm. they can either become farmers for the rest of their lives and just to point out there's nothing about wrong about being a farmer but else you're going to go into running but if we should say besides the culture aspect which i believe is like the main thing because those guys have been there they train so freaking hard and they are so dedicated to running but also to recovery the diet but the only thing we know from science is that their, their lower limbs, like their calves and their feet, are a bit smaller. And you need to think that when you have to move your leg, your feet, the less energy you need to create to move the feet, the less oxygen you burn, the less carbohydrate, the less fat you burn. So therefore, you can go, you can hold a faster speed for a longer time than you can if you have a less economic style. Hmm. So it's it's partly cultural, and then maybe also it's a little bit about the anatomy but not the physiology i would say got it so so moving into that part if you look at the very serious the very serious runner what should they know like this fancy words u2 max uh, different kind of test uh oxygen levels and so on like wh- where do we start also for the the curious person it's like all right i listen to your mess i'm gonna take a year and after that year i'll see you at the track where where do we start <laughs> I would say, first of all, we need to know, um, just in short, that in the body, we have roughly two energy systems. We actually have three. We have one that can create a lot of power for like only a few seconds. And that's where we, um, through creatine phosphate, we create energy. So that's like if you need to squat for like two or three repetitions, or you need to sprint for maybe two or three seconds. And it doesn't, it's not hard at all because it doesn't create any lactic acid buildup. Like, you know, that feeling of, that burning sensation in your leg. Then we have the glycolysis. And just to, to stop quickly, MS, when uh, when yeah. I hear the word creatine, I think about bodybuilders. Yeah, but it's actually true. We all have some some creatine in our muscles, and that's actually why bodybuilders, they they take creatine because they can take a, we create a bit more power. Yeah. And as endurance athletes, we're not interested in that, but we still have access to that yeah. cap- capability, that substrate. But it's only interesting for sprinters. I just wanted to rally very briefly mention that we have that system too. Yeah. But then we have the glycolysis, which is the anaerobic system. And if people don't know what don't know what the anaerobic metabolism is, it's where you create energy without using oxygen. So you can maybe go for up to should we say just around 50, 60 seconds, really, really hard, and you're creating that really burning sensation in your legs, your muscles. In, you can go fast. So if you're like a 200 meter sprinter or 400 meter guy, it's really important. Or it's the sensation you have if you 
going with your mates for a 5k run and then you're jogging around then you're sprinting the last two minutes or something mm. like that because you want to get first i know that feeling exactly in it to win it right yes <laughs> it happens always when we do our weekly runs at the at crank always those 200 or like 800 meters everyone starts to speed up to see who gets uh, back the first <laughs> that's and that's it's fun you need that competition sometimes yeah. And then the, the most important for, for most people, that's the aerob, aerobic metabolism. When we are resting, when we are walking for hours, when we are running for hours, it's where we create energy by using fatty acids and carbohydrates as a substrate. Mm. And, and the interesting thing about the aerobic metabolism is that we can create, it's, there's nearly no limits on how big the capabilities of the aerobic metabolism can be. So if you want to fo focus on one thing, it should be the aerobic metabolism. And that, that's through volume of training and then, of course, also intensity, but not too high intensity. Um, and with that said, you should know what you are, like the measure for your aerobic capacity, that's your mutual max. That's how much oxygen you can consumption and utilize each minute. So um, VO2 max, just to say a few more words, it's a number from what to what, and then you want the highest number as possible, right? Yeah, because it's like it's directly proportional with the amount of energy you can produce aerobically. So the more energy you can produce aerobically, the better. And, and how do you measure this? Yeah, you can do it. Actually, you can do it in two ways. You can have like a VO2 analyzer, like on your mouth. You're probably seeing pictures or videos, and then the people they go all out into the nearly are falling apart. Or you can do it through like a, I know we'll talk a little bit about that in the end, but like through a really complex lactate test, and that's actually more precise than like what you're doing in the labs because the thing with that we two analyzer is that there's a deviation up to four percent and that's and it's just scientifically validated where if you have a really complex lactate test like what's what the world tour teams like within cycling and so on are doing now then there's like because you can cross validate some of the numbers then there's a deviation of a maximum of one percent so it's a bit more precisely than the we two analyzer but If you don't want to get tested, you you just know you just feel if you're in better shape that you can go you can go harder for a longer time, and that's a pretty rough guideline that your aerobic capabilities are, are getting better. Yeah. In and then we have just in short, then we have something called most people haven't heard about it, I guess, on this podcast, but called the VLA max, and it stands for velocity of lactate production. And We know that if you use the anaerobic metabolism, then we will create lactic, lactic acid. And that's by breaking down carbohydrates. And if you are like a sprinter or you like um, you're competing in a discipline where you're maybe up to 10 minutes long or like even like a 5K runner, even a 10K runner. But then, then it's actually important to have a certain degree of... Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to set a number on because... When we talk about the real two max, it can't get too high. You need it as big as possible. But the real max, it needs to be optimal for the individual and the discipline they are training for. So, but with those, when you have those two numbers, then you can, then you can see what people thresholds are. So that means most people have maybe heard about the intensity at which you can run for like 45 to 60 minutes with eight, without creating too much buildup of lactic acid. And if we look at it like this. Then if we have those two numbers, the VO2 max and the VLA max, then we can actually get a much better picture of the 
the metabolism for each individual. And then we can create a much better training protocol because you can have two people that have the same results on maybe a 5K, a 10K, a 1500, and the same for swimming, cycling, and so on. But, and then most coaches, they think that if they do the same training, they will get the same stimulus. But if their capacities are different, then the stimulus they get from the same training will be much different. So that means they will develop in a different direction. And that's why I'm always saying that random training equals random results. And if you only measure one of the two things, like the aerobic metabolism or the anaerobic metabolism, I always used to like the analogy like of two people dancing. I'm a really bad, bad dancer, but while I like it, it's fun. But you know, if the man is good or the woman is good, it doesn't really matter. Both of them, they need to have that balance between each other so they can create a beautiful dance and have fun. If only the, the woman, she's really good, and the man, he sucks, or the opposite direction, then the dance will be really bad. And it's the same with physiology. You need the whole equation. You can't just look at one side of the equation. But if you have that 360 degree um, picture of the metabolism, then you can create 100% unique individualized training programs for, for each person. And how often should you do these kind of tests? It doesn't sound like it's something on your smartwatch, so you just check it like heart rate variability or something else. No, exactly. And that's the thing about physiology. Um, first, I would like to say that if you have the, a very beginner, then even it doesn't really matter what you do. You'll just even day to day, at least which week you'll improve. But like if you have a, a general conditioning, or especially if you're at a high level, then it takes around, you say around six weeks before you can see a significant um, improvement of a cap capacity. So if you're serious, I would say the very elite, they get tested maybe six to seven times a year, but else I would say three to four times a year would be a really good starting point because then you have three to four months between each test and you can see how much you have improved and what you should focus on the next training block. So my uh, old consulting friends that they are making uh, more than enough money, four times or six times a year, they could pay for this test to make sure that uh, they are winning at the competitions when uh, the partners are running against each other. Is that what I'm hearing? It nearly is, yeah, because if they can, if yeah. they know what they are doing, what their capacities are, their utilization, the power of the aerobic metabolism, the anaerobic metabolism, then they can, they will get a much better stimulus of the training they're doing because we can directly go in and say, ah, we need to to maybe increase your VO2 max 2%, or we need to go a bit slower on the intervals because your anaerobic metabolism is a bit too, um, is participating a bit too much. So a test can only get a pick. It like give you a picture of what is going on inside the body. It can't say how you will respond to training, but when the coach gets to know you a bit better and your physiology, then it's much easier to say you need two hard workouts a week or you maybe only need two hard workouts a month. So definitely if you have the money and you're and you're like driven, then I would recommend people to have a test every three months or something like that. Mm. How much are those tests approximately? Just like a ballpark. Sorry? How much are those tests approximately cost-wise, ballpark-wise? Like like in Danish crowns or euros or? Um, doesn't matter. Euros, I think, is a general. Around 16, 1700 Danish crowns um, okay. for the, the most expensive. And then we have at the cheaper one will be around 1200 Danish crowns. So I would say, think about if you buy a cup of coffee every day for 45 Danish crowns, just stop doing that. You don't, won't get that caffeine rust and you'll get even healthier. And then you can save up for tests. <laughs> so sounds like a, a good swap. 
What about something like hardware wearability or something that our smartwatches um, can actually measure? Yeah, I would. I know it's really in right now, and I use it myself. But again, we need to remember that it's not 100% precise. Especially something I watch for like two, three, four thousand Danish crowns can measure. It's not precise. Like if you go into a lab and have electrodes all over your body, so I would only use it as a rough estimate. Example myself, I like to use it not by not day to day, but like over the course of a month, two months, and to see some patterns, and then just know that there can be some deviation in the numbers. And then I always like to use those kind of technology. Like I compare to my internal feeling. So if I really feel good by my watch telling me something is bad, then I go with my internal feeling and the same the opposite way around because I feel too many people, they are too, it feels like they are in a prison. They only go after their watch tell them every morning, you have slept uh, 60%, you have 60% readiness or something like that, but you feel amazing. I then you should go with that feeling. That's a, that's a whole podcast in itself. Uh, I think the O-ring has some amazing things, but it is so off when it comes to sleep stages. Like exactly, it's, I know we've talked about that. Yeah, I'm like when I see people, I saw a, a good friend again today posting about how the deep sleep was so good, and I just it puzzles me why people are still posting that. And when we now know, like such a big company that has so much funding, they would have shown the results. I'm I'm trying to get as well a guy on the podcast that actually is a, a PhD and testing all these different devices, and he went in uh, with a proper sleep lad with the O-ring, and it was like those sleep stages were not even. It, it was like so off and it was not like some of the biohackers are saying well the trend you can just use the trend if it goes up like it was absolutely horseshit like embarrassing i, I almost get like a bit angry that uh, that we're having the negative mental effect on individuals because people are following a watch or a ring that's so far off and i think it's super important that we actually call it out you're so right and it's really interesting that you're that you're saying that because people need to know that i feel like because they need, they want to improve their health, and if they 100% believe what the watch are telling them, that maybe it'll be good for them. But the probability is that they'll not create the right habits will will be there, and that's mm. that's just sad. If if it was correct, then we could see validated like on good tests, then it makes sense to follow a bit more. But just when we know there's so much off, then it's it's just crazy. And have we stopped listening to our own body? But it, but I do find it, I find tests super fascinating, just like blood tests and so on, figuring out where am I, what do I actually need to change? But it's just important that it's at least somewhat accurate and not just like fully off because it can have that negative mental effect on you. Yeah, I um, there's, there's, there's even disease now, um, like a diagnosis for this stuff where people get so obsessed with their sleep um, because they want to optimize it, just like you had with the bodybuilders, like the opposite of bulimia and so on, but they want to get so big that they actually got mental problems. So I think I think it's important that we, especially someone like you as well, who's an expert, like kind of mention like, hey, use it for the good stuff. And these are actually the things that works that have been tested in the lab. And these are the stuff that might be super good for temperature, heart rate variability, and some of the other stuff that the O-ring is, at least as far as I've heard, good on. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen the results, but I know there's been done several studies that is mostly just uh, the whole uh, sleep stages. That's absolutely horseshit. Sorry, my language. Yeah, but but you're so right, and I also believe there's another aspect to it, and that is that if people they only believe in external external measurements, then it's like telling their body, their biology, that they don't trust the internal intelligence. Just like every year we will get spring, we will get summer, we will get autumn and winter. Hmm. So like there is an intelligence out there, and we have that inside ourselves. 
it's not like we can say exactly what it is, but I believe that we need to trust our body. Just like I know it's dangerous for some people to talk about, but if people only in these times believe in a vaccine, I'm not mm. anti-vaccine at all, but they need to trust themselves and their body can handle this because viruses, that's just a normal thing. It has been there for millions and millions of years. So trust in yourself before you try a lot of external things. And when it just related to at the very, very high level, I know some of the best coaches within endurance sports, some of them, they have, in the beginning, they used HIV a lot, but mm. now they see there's not a pattern they can use because sometimes you, if your HIV are low and you can't even measure it exactly, you still need to get the training in. So they use other measurements. And in the end, you can measure so much, but what they are saying is that even some of the world tour teams within cycling, like within soccer and so on, which have billions of billions of dollars, that like the very best measurements is how does the athlete look in the morning? Mm. How's their mood? How's the smile on the face? That tells us so much more than what a measurement can tell us. Yeah. So use measurements as a guideline, but trust yourself. I would say that. I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. And then of course, if you have something like you're looking into cans and so on, of course, measurements. But, uh, but, when, when, but when we look at sports here, and I know that's also your intention, that's just why I, I clarified it. I know that sometimes things can get misunderstood. But I, I fully agree that it's important to also that we don't forget about like actually just waking up and feel how do you feel. That we only yeah, exactly. like look, that we that we learn to feel like what's going on in our body. Yeah, exactly. So what else should someone that wants to be like, I want to get at the top level, what else should they do? I would say... If you don't have a coach and you want to self-coach yourself, then you need to know the mechanics behind what the performance is composed of. You need to know the why, the how, and the what. Otherwise, you're just guessing and doing things blindly. Mm. Because many people, they believe that I need to just add a lot of volume to my training. I need to... I've Sometimes I hear people like they, they, have, they have just seen like a new article about a special interval program that will just do everything for them but it won't you need to to know the components behind your physiology before you can trade take educated guesses on what you should do um, and then i will say one thing is the the training part but we need to remember that we we can geek for hours about this but we don't have time but one thing is the training component but you also need to remember that the two three four hours or 30 minutes you're training each day that just is a little bit of the puzzle you need to dial you dial your diet and you need to have the right mindset. You need to focus on your sleep and your recovery because in training, everybody can train hard, but if we can't absorb the training, then it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Mm. And then I would also say create a if you want to become really good, you need to surround yourself with the very best people. Find the best dietitian, the best psychologist, the best coach, and the best friends who can support you. And then you will create a long-term plan, not long-term plan, not just three months out, like a, like if you're a beginner, but maybe five years out from now, because then you you can be patient and like you can accept that this year is actually about being able to train next year. And then you can focus on different parts of your performance. So just like I know you want to become, you want to become more flexible. And maybe it's not good for your running, not to talk about that right now, but, mm-hmm. but you know, for the next period of time, you'll focus on your flexibility and you will with peace in your mind and heart know that then I'll put running in the background and focus on my flexibility because then I, when I come back to Denmark and I want to start some, some Thai boxing again, then I'll have that advantage compared to my competitors and my friends I'm training with. And why is, I think that's an interesting one. Why is a high 
like high flexibility not ideal for running it's a little bit the same like earlier i talked about the real mx it needs to be optimal it, need, yeah. it doesn't have to be at maximum like you have to think about like this that one thing is your physiology but like we all have tendons we have joints we have that soft tissue in our body and actually when you take a step and running you apply some force into the ground and but then you will also absorb some of that energy and if you are really flexible then you will will instead of maybe absorbing should we say it's just a random number instead of absorbing maybe 80% energy you'll maybe only absorb 60% energy so it will actually cost you more to run at a given speed so the flexibility should be there but only to have optimal range of motion not to have range of motion like a a gymnast or something like that if that makes sense got it got it i'm definitely not there yet uh, so uh, so i think i'm i'm working my way to more optimal mobility um, but I, i was curious because i've always when i was younger i was ex- i was very fast when i played football and so yeah, on, yeah. like i could outrun most people that was like my main thing endurance and then like outrunning uh, not the best technique but i could run really fast so thinking like the correlation between lack of flexibility and that Yeah, but actually, if you look at the very best runners, they have very little flexibility because you need a tendon is a little bit like a, an elastic. The more flexible an, an elastic is, the, the less energy it can absorb. So the stiffer it is, the more energy it can absorb. But then again, if you are too stiff, then it will probably, like the possibility of injuries will be higher. So it's again, it's different. Some people, they they will not even be able to touch the floor with their hands when they're standing up. And other people, they can do the most crazy um, crazy stretches and yoga stretches and, and that's good for them yeah. so, and the point is people are different you need to play around you need to experiment over the years what's what's the best combination for you yeah um, yeah i would say so before diving into some of the stuff you do mass which i find is super fascinating when we've been talking at least so for example my friend Lasse that you know as well who is a management consultant he probably works 60 hours a week but he also likes to be a beast on the on in the gym or running really fast what's what's like two things or one thing that you would recommend someone like him to do to be able to uh, to get better results um, yeah there are a lot of things but i would probably say that between two people there are too many variables that like to think that they'll benefit from the same training so the ideal training approach for for less or someone else for each runner out there is also unique Um, and two runners should not train precisely the same way. Um, and then also you need to look into that if you have a demanding job, again, if stress is stress, if it's physical or mental. So if he have a very demanding job, I don't know about that, but if he does have, and then he just adds more and more training, then it'll take time from his mental and physical recovery, his sleep. And then it'll maybe in the short term, it will benefit him. But in the long term, it's not the ideal approach. In. And then I will say, if you really want to improve your running, then you should find a proper coach. You don't need to spend a whole lot of money, but someone who knows what he's doing and then lay out a long-term plan. And then also think about not just running, but also add a little bit of strength work into your routine. Every day. Like maybe not on an everyday basis, but on a, like a weekly basis. In. And then try to, often people know what their their weaknesses, if, is it endurance or is it speed or is it, maintaining a high pace for a long time and then work out from from that and then maybe map out two times a year where you really want to peak maybe you have a race in should we say the end of spring and then you have a day 
in the end of autumn. And then that's why you should be peaking. And then around that, you should create your training program. So you can build up your capacities and your power. And with power, I mean utilization of your capacity, if that makes sense. Hmm. Very roughly, yeah. How do you select a good running coach? Yeah, like what should you look for? Yeah, that's that's the tricky part sometimes because it's not a, you know, it's not a, what, how do you say, it's not a protected thing. Like if you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer and that's like a quality measurement or if you're a surgeon, you're a surgeon. So I would probably, because there are two things to it. Some coaches are really practical. They don't know anything about theory. And then you have the scientist who knows everything about theory but does know anything about practice, in the, like how you apply it in practice. And if, So if you want a good running coach, I'll probably look after someone who has a certain level of education within sports science, but also have a lot of practical experience at different levels, not just for like a month or half a year, but over several years who have been working with recreational runners all the way up to the very elite because the very good good coach, he can apply the optimal train optimal train load for the each individual. And like also he have tried different things over the course of, of years or he, she has so so they know what, what they are doing and they know why they are doing it because mm-hmm. often people say oh I need intervals so I can get faster and I'm like but why do you need intervals and then people are so I get faster but I'm still like why do you need intervals you need to explain me what does it do to your physiology because if you can't explain me that then I won't trust the person so talk with the coach have a few conversation with them And one thing is that they can tell you about the what's happening, but you also need that chemistry between you. Hmm. And you need to to tell them what you need, what's what's the context of your situation, because the perfect program doesn't matter if you can apply it to your schedule. Because the training should fit should fit your program, not the other way around. And I see that too many times that like coaches, they have a certain training philosophy and they apply it to everybody. The only thing they individualize, that's the, the volume and intensity. But that's not individualizing. It's it's just it's still a general approach. Um, so that's probably the most important. Have have a good conversation and and just curiously ask them about some different things. I would say makes sense. So time is running fast, mass. If we uh, oh, just want to yeah. dig a big into uh, how you live your life, what are some routines that you do? Like, I'm I'm quite curious about like some of the challenges that you met in your life and and what you did to kind of try and overcome them. Yeah, of course. And I've had, everybody probably had that, but a lot of challenges within life and especially within sports. Like I've, a few years back, I was out with like extreme severe overtraining where I could only walk for 15 minutes each day. I was sleeping 16 to 18 hours every day. My hormones were like out of wreck. Everything was really bad and I've had so many injuries. So my point is that I've been thinking a lot more within the past two, three, four years about how we absorb training, how we recover in the best possible ways. Because, you know, in the nervous system, we have the, roughly, we have the parasympathetic parasympathetic state where we are, like, relaxed and we are chilled and just happy. We are not tense. And then we have the sympathetic state. And that's where we, if we are on a podcast and want to perform or, like, we had a meeting or we had a race, something like that. And in the Western world, we are, we are too much sympathetic driven. So... I've tried to create some habits where I get more into the parasympathetic state and I'm still, it's still hard for me, but like I try to focus a lot more on instead of spending energy, I try to create energy and that's through Qigong practices every day. It's through not looking at my phone, my laptops for the first 60 minutes in the morning. It's through being in nature and just trying 
just trying to be be with people, not have a certain purpose I need to fulfill. And then also just try to, and it's hard for me, but talk slow. I'm not doing it right now, but mm-hmm. talk slow and walk slow and just not think about what's next, what's yeah. happening tomorrow, what's happening yeah. But and then all me, the biohacking thing. Sorry? Tell, tell me a little bit more about your morning routine, like that first hour. What happens there? Do you oh, yeah, wake exactly. up with an alarm or do you wake up with an alarm? You just wake up by your by yourself or like how does how does that work? Yeah, first of all, I sleep like in a in a cold, really dark room, and then I have I have this earning earning uh, sheet I'm I'm sleeping on just to get those really good electrons inside my body. But in the very first thing in the morning, I, I never look at my clock. I don't use an alarm. It's to get either I get red light from like a device I have, or if it's like right now spring or summer, then I stick my head out the window, and then. Often I take a glass of water, some electrolytes, and then I... And some electrolytes, just a few more words on that. Do you put the uh, powder? Do you put the uh, Himalaya salt? Like, what, what, do you, what do you put in the water? I try to keep it pretty simple. So it's normally just like, like some really pure Himalaya salt or something like that. Yeah. And then sometimes some enzymes. And then our very good friend, uh, Thomas Sylvester, I always take some Ökolust every morning in my yes. glass of water. In. And then I go for a walk for like around 30 minutes. And then often... If the weather is good, I do some Qigong for like 15, 20 minutes outside. And someone that doesn't back. know what Qigong is, a quick word on that. Yeah, people have maybe heard about Tai Chi. It's like seeing like people in Asia standing in the parks and like doing really slow movements, trying to create energy, try to move it around in the body. Qigong is a little bit this, little bit the same. Um, so it's about building up, building up energy, not physical energy, but but just energy in a more abstract term instead of using energy. Because if you're going for a run, you're using energy. So mm. you need to load those batteries. And then I get back, I do some stretching, and then uh, I often get breakfast, and then it's time for, for training, like physical training. That's probably the first two hours each day for me. That sounds say. like a really good morning routine. What kind of breakfast do you eat? It's a, I really love uh, oatmeal, like with some different kind of seeds in it, nuts and fruit. And then also, like within Chinese medicine, they don't, they believe it's really bad for you to get something cold into your stomach, especially in the morning. So I like to use some, to eat something warm that's like nourishing for the body from our organs. Um, and I feel like one thing is, I know it's good for me, but I also, I've always had this internal feeling that something warm and like moisty is really just a good start for my, for my body. So you're telling me my morning smoothie is not good according to uh, Chinese medicine? Actually, according to Chinese medicine, and I know that I've talked with a lot of people in it, smoothies are good, but you need to make them be a bit warmer. So let them still stand out there for maybe 30 minutes because that cold thing that will, if you think about it like Chinese people, like you have you have a, an inner fire inside of you. And if you put something cold, like putting cold water on a fire, that will, if it doesn't completely take out the fire, it'll make the fire burn less. Where if you put something that's just like... Um, room temperature a bit warmer on it then it will not it will not take something out from the fire um, and i know people have different opinions but if you can make it a bit warmer as the first thing in the morning that'll be that'll be good because smoothies are great there's so many good things from like the the fruits and like the vegetables in it i love it too but just be careful with the the cold hmm. you're putting inside of you do we know anything from science in regards to that is there like a, a verdict there like there's so many things from eastern philosophy and and uh, medicine and so on that we're slowly starting to prove just like meditation people thought that was crazy 
20 years ago that the brain would never be able to change, right? And now we can do brain scans. So do you know if there's any like science we have found about this or is this still to be discovered in uh, in new studies? Um, actually, I have to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't really been into that, but uh, I've, so I can't give you an exact no. answer on that thing, but Fully fair. I'm all, and again, when we talked about HIV and so on, I just feel like if it feels good for you, like it really feels good, like you can just feel from the inside, then then I don't need a scientist to tell me it's good. No, but I heard before actually that you shouldn't drink super cold water. So, so I'm quite curious, like where, where does it come from? And like, again, when you said like, when you talk to a running coach, um, kind of understanding the deeper levels, right? I know now we're going into uh, to your morning habits, so that's not the same as when you're coaching someone. But no, it, no, but it's, I'm 100% right. It's really interesting to know the why to also like the the answers from science, why, but, yeah. but I haven't, digging into it oh no but but also as you said like how does it make you feel that's the most important thing like right do do you feel good afterwards that's that's a really good and like the whole biohacking n equals one like there might be a study that shows that something works for 80 percent or 90 percent, but you might be the 10 percent that it doesn't work for right and then then you need to test that out and that's why it's what i really like about your approach as well mass when we've been talking off the mic as well and, and and now it's like you need to fill it out it's just like you look at what what seems to work for the majority of people and then test it and feel like how is it working for you because that's the key yeah exactly if you have those two things then you are a, a, a really long step ahead of your of your neighbor mm-hmm. or competitor yeah do you have any so when i follow your stories and so on you have a lot of discipline yeah what, what, what? What uh, do you use any techniques or anything else to keep that discipline up, or do you just wake up every morning and be like, yet again, another day, I'm on it? How do, how does that work? I wish it was like that every day, and that's why you need discipline because it's like if you've been to like a a really motivational speech or like a or like a you know a, what is called like a weekend course or something like that, you have so much motivation. I want to change that. I want to do that, and. It's like that for maybe a week, maybe even two weeks, and then it's out. And that's why you need this discipline. And for me, what's been working, I'm not saying it's working for everybody, but it's like every morning and evening, I'm brushing my, my teeth. And I'm not, it's not like, a, do I have to do it or do I don't have to do it? It's just like, if I have a routine, I don't create like, and should I do it or should I not? It's always, I should do it. It's like the sun goes up every morning. It's the same with my routines. I just have to do it. Don't think about it, just keep doing it. And then for me, it helps about thinking, thinking long-term because I know if it maybe feels bad to do Qigong because I don't really want to, I just I rather want to check out the internet or something like that. But afterwards I have this bad feeling inside of me, like, like I was weak and I know it's sounding a bit rough, but if I tell myself I'm weak, I, w- I rather want to be strong. I want to be inspiring. Then it helps me to keep going because it's a little bit the same, same like racing. If I'm on the starting line, and I know I haven't done my very best beforehand, like when it comes to training, diet or something else, then I just feel bad because then I only gave 99% of what I could do. And I would rather be the person who comes number three and have done absolutely everything in my life than being that talented guy who only 50% of the time is doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So I would say try to create some habits where it's not a should I do it or should I not. It's just, of course, you should go for it just like you. Every morning you wash your face. Yeah. Um, it's it. a bit simple, but it works for me at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. 
I was lucky to study a course at Harvard where we learned a lot about like self-control and yeah. tips. It was the psychology of emotional, behavioral, motivational, self-control. <laughs> very, very okay. long title, if I remember it correctly. So it's interesting to hear also like how people dealing with it and some of it sounds similar, like habits are really a key. Do you, do you find a habit so you don't have to use that much energy um, and think about it? But time is running, mess. We have a few more things. Yeah, yeah. So you do, uh, you do the health coaching. Yeah. How, how, are, how can people work with you if they're like, all right, I want to go from being slow to fairly fast. Or like, I want to be, be freaking on it. I want to be fast as, sorry, my language. Um, <laughs> how, how does that work? Well, um, I would say I'm not just into the training aspect. I'm very much into the holistic aspect that like, you need to, we need, I need to work with the, the whole person because again, training is just training. If everything, everything else is not dialed in, then it doesn't really matter because you won't absorb what I'm giving you of training. So um, I would like, if it was you, I would like to know about your situation, your context, what you're doing, some of your habits, how you're eating, how you're sleeping and so on. Just so I get like a, a rough est- estimate of um, how much are you actually into it? Uh, how much are you, how much are you, what should you say, um, willing to give? Like not, not give me, but give yourself how, how invested are you into this project? And then from that on, we will work on the more detailed stuff like should you run that much or that much and how should you paradise your training and maybe your diet and so on. Um, so for me, it's, it's like a whole package. You can't different the, the mind and the body. It's it's completely, it's together, connected. Um, and then, um, yeah, then I have a firm. I just opened up. We are two people right now. We're working with a, with a very high-level um, doctor too who have been working with Olympic athletes. So I feel like we have the whole package. And it's called the peak forever um, because we wanted something that where people are not just on top of the game for a month, but like on top of the game for preferably their whole life. And like on their mountain, it can be different. Your mountain is another mountain than my mountain, but everybody have a mountain in their life they want to climb and also try to be at the top for as long as possible. Mm. And, and, and your, your partner as well is doing a PhD or have a PhD in uh, DNA as well or something like that. Yeah, she has a PhD within um, molecular biology. So that's like biomedicine and like she's very much into genetics and so on um, yeah. and hormones. So I feel like we have a good package when it comes to, to those things. Yeah. And then it's also good to have that backup team of two doctors who have been working with Olympic athletes just to have those people who who have what we can apply to people. Um, and then I feel like my... Education, because one thing I don't really care about education that much, because I feel like I, I sound really arrogant right now. But for me, that master was just to get it on paper, because I've been studying this my whole life. I'm, when people they are, I remember when I was young, when people they were run like reading uh, Disney magazines, I was reading like about the uh, heart rate and lactic acids and stuff like that, and also trying it out and like apply it to myself, apply it to other people I've been working with, and I feel like. I can you you can keep learning. You can never become too clever, too good. It's always about learning because you don't know what you don't know. So I feel like I know a lot now, but I also know I can know and not mo- a lot more because mm. I'm not even that old. So I have many many years to go to get that experience. I think the fun thing is the more you learn, you learn also how little you know or like how much more complex it is, right? That you you, you can definitely yeah, have some it, principles yeah. and and you can you can help people a lot, but like it is really complex, and that's also why it's fantastic to find a coach that dedicating their life to actually sorting these things out and can help you with the with the right tools yeah definitely definitely yeah and then 
I'm the kind of person who could do things for free. And what I mean with that is that I'm very passionate. If I work with someone, I want he or she to be, to like fulfill their potential. And it does matter if they are beginners or they are at the very elite level. Mm-hmm. Just seeing the smile in people's eyes, that's what matters most to me. I would that's say. fantastic. So where can people find out more about you and, and what about uh, your company? Yeah, yeah. as I mentioned before, it's called Peak Forever. So you can go on the website called peakforever.com. Then we have a profile um, called Peak Forever on Facebook and then on Instagram. And it's actually, it's only around a week old, so it's it's very new, all of it. And then I would probably say that if you subscribe to our newsletter, then you will get a, we have a 16 pages long guide for people, like like some simple, a bit more complex, like um, guidelines about training and results and stuff like that. And then we will every week keep posting people with like, advice regarding guidelines and so on and like try to update the blog on the website too so in the beginning it'll maybe be a, a bit simplistic for some people but then it'll be become more and more geeky mm-hmm. and then hopefully also begin to start with some webinars about like certain aspects of training and and health in general sounds good i'll make sure if you send me the link mess uh, where people can sign up for the free guide Um, so they become on your newsletter as well and get that information I'll make sure to include that in the show notes I'll make sure to include as well the links for the different profiles also your own personal Instagram where you share a lot about your journey of training and so on that sounds very very good yeah thank you so before ending off if you had to give that's a question I always ask my guests uh, across the board like if you had to give one to three final advice to the listeners on how to live a happy healthy and meaningful life what what would that be i would say if I have three things, if that's okay, um, I would say that stress is stress, and that doesn't matter if it's physical or mental. The human human body and mind can only adapt to, to a certain load, and if you adapt too much load, it'll do more damage than good. And that will bring me to the next point, and that is that it's very, very difficult for like a typical driven person to back off and truly accept the idea that idea of that backing off can actually be very beneficial for their performance and well-being. And then the last and maybe the most important is have fun, enjoy what you're doing in life because that's probably the number one thing within sport, within life, within your general day because a boring a boring life is not worth living. So if you're not at least 80% of the time having some fun with it or like getting a bit psyched up for it, then it's not worth doing in my opinion. I think that is so true. It's really about finding something that gives us joy and gives us meaning. And that's different from everyone. Like a happy life is a mix of science and art, right? There's some things that we know have a big impact, like social connections, um, food that keeps us energy and movement and so on. But then there's also the art part that you're speaking to is actually figuring out what is it that that brings so much joy to you. Definitely. And that's why that just to to end it with a few words that like training, that's science, but coaching, that's an art. And that's why you need a a coach or mentor who can bring those two pieces together. You need both sides of that equation. Um, And then you have the perfect match for you. I think that's a good uh, ending comment. Mass, I thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing some of your wisdom here on the show. It was a big pleasure to be on it and I'm I'm ready for a lot more in the future. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we could talk for hours. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cheers. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.